Do you have an interest in the legacies that historical and not so historical figures leave behind? Are you curious about how to ensure family heirlooms and life lessons are passed on from generation to generation? Are you interested in developing your end of life plan to alleviate family discord and encourage generational wealth? Well, I invite you to listen to Heirloom and Legacy, a podcast that explores ancestry, heirlooms, legacy, mortality, and more. I am Angeline C. Fraser Giles, your host, and I look forward to sharing these discussions with you. Hello, and welcome to season two, episode 17 of Heirloom and Legacy podcast. I am pleased to have David Copeland as my guest today. David was born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. He uses he, him, his pronouns, and is a member of the LGBTQIA community. David received his end-of-life doula training with the International End-of-Life Doula Association, otherwise known as ANELDA. He founded Live Without Regrets Doula Services, where he has served the sick and dying for many years. He holds a certificate from the International Association of Professions Career College and is a licensed missionary reverend in the Love Church. He is proud that through his work as a doula, he serves the LGBTQIA community, the elderly, terminally ill, actively dying, and their loved ones with dignity, grace, and love. He does this through creating a tailored end-of-life plan that includes respite care, vigil and legacy projects, bereavement and post-death consultations with families. He believes it is an honor and a privilege for him to be allowed into one of life's most intimate and sacred elements. As a death doula, he is committed to serving his clients and their families with trust and integrity as core advocacy values. I am also really excited that David has recently joined Anelda's board. So welcome, David. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So since this podcast is an educational forum, I was hoping that you could explain what each letter symbol signifies in the LGBTQIA plus acronym. So the LGBTQIA plus is lesbian gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, and asexual. The plus is for all the other groups that are involved and a part of the community of queer folks. Okay, thank you so much. I know some people know what maybe a few of the letters mean, but I wanted to make sure that we clarify that in the very beginning, because as we continue to do this work, we know things are going to evolve and change, and we want to just make sure that we respect all involved. So thank you for that. So talk a little bit about why being an end-of-life doula is so important to you, and is it your passion work? So end-of-life doula work is my passion work. Um, It's holy work. Uh, It's God's work. It's important to me because I believe that folks should be able to have a good death with whatever that looks like, even if it's a hard death. They're able to plan their funeral like they would plan a birthday party, like they would plan 
anything else that is very important to them. Dying is going to happen to each of us. It's one of the moments of life that I think is the last grandstand <laughs> that we'll mm -hmm. have. So I think that our last hurrah should be intentional, should be displayed the way that that person wants it to be versus other people making decisions for that person. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. So uh, one of the things you said is live intentionally on purpose and without regrets. So I think that goes to what you what you just expressed. Uh, do you have a close family member or did you have a close family member that you sat with at the end of their life? And how was that? So I usually sit with most of my family members that I'm in relationship with. Um, at the end of life, I did my great grandmother, my great grandfather, my um, mother's father, cousins. Um, wow, little cousins. <laughs> mm -hmm. So usually, I'm the first call if someone gets a bad report after they tell their immediate families. They're like, "Okay, we need to talk to David. We need to call David." And we start the plan, we start the journey, we begin processing what end of life, what death is going to look like. Um, one of my cousins, she passed at 59, but she had sickle cell. And she lived a full life having sickle cell. Um, mm -hmm. And it was, when she found out, she called me to the hospital and she said, I want you to take this journey with me. And I said, I'm here every step of the way. She wrote her um, obituary, had me, re re had me read it, and then work on like the language and stuff because she wanted it to be, um, it, she wanted to read well. So yes. I did those things. And then she saw her, she picked her picture. She picked the video that she wanted to be played with her and her um great grand um nephew and yeah so we went through those processes and it was beautiful she saw everything even down to the colors she was going to be wearing she made her funeral plans at the funeral home and then she gave it to us to do after she transitioned to make sure it was done the correct way that is really beautiful and incredible because we hear of so many stories where people have nothing in place. There's no plan. Everyone is guessing, particularly when it comes to the obituary. Uh, you're guessing, you can't remember, you're in the grieving process and you're trying to remember, okay, what school did they go to? Where did they work? Yeah. Uh, where did they live? Where were they born? And, you know, some people may have some of that, those details, but to be able to sit with it with yourself and lay all of those things out. So there's nothing is misconstrued, right? It, it's down to those details. So that was truly a blessing that you were able to give your cousin. And I'm sure she appreciated it because I know it's a, it's a hard call to make when you know you're, you're at the end. And that is why I think a lot of us don't have the conversations, don't, and don't reach out to someone like you. Yeah, it was powerful. And 
you know, even when she was on her way out, she had a, a nephew that was over her executive of her estate or whatever. But even he knew that she wanted me to be involved versus him having to make the decision. It was mm -hmm. a good balance so that the nieces and nephews, because she had no children, um, and she thought she would die before her husband. Her husband died first. So um, those are things. So he was navigating things, but I was helping in the back end, making sure it was done so that there were no arguments and nobody was saying, this is what she wanted. And no, my auntie didn't want it. So all of those things, we didn't have to deal with it. And she knew that he was um, a soft-spoken person. He's a soft-spoken person and would bend if his siblings said right. no. And she knew I wouldn't bend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, this is what she wanted. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so that's the good thing about it too, is having somebody there to be the buckler for you when things happen. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, that's 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 wonderful. And a and a blessing that she had you and and her nephew to draw that balance. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about representation in death care work and you identifying uh, in the community and and how you've been able to translate what you do so that other people understand why representation is so important. So it's important because we, I serve marginalized communities, vulnerable communities where if you don't have correct advocacy, folks won't come, folks won't seek resources that they have. And to be able to see someone that looks like you, see someone that identifies in the same group that you identify in, it helps to relieve the stresses of being called the correct pronouns, being not being misgendered, not being looked at as weird, not being other. Um, it helps to just process what dying looks like with someone who is your peer, your counterpart, and understand that we have to make families sometimes as LGBTQ folks. We're kicked out of homes, uh, we're disowned. And to have to look at death without biological family can be challenging, but having someone with lived experience being able to help you through those processes is important to give trust, to um, really know that you're going to be taken care of, that they won't mm -hmm. intentionally harm you. Mm -hmm. um, if things were to happen where there was harm, it wasn't done to, it wasn't malicious, it was an accident. It wasn't something where they felt like they could disrespect you because of who you are and how you identify and all of the other things that come along with being Black, being queer, um, being a Christian, <laughs> and mm -hmm. also believing in hoodoo. All of these things are 
make you other. They make you um, different, but having someone that's able to represent for you helps lift the burdens. Yeah, I I would imagine. So, I mean, death is challenging as a cisgender person, right? And so it can only be that much more challenging is, as you said, you know, someone is not surrounded by their biological immediate family for a variety of different reasons. And I can only imagine having someone who understands um, that person and what they're going through has to be a very poignant way to end, you know, a life because it's hard enough. It's hard enough to be sick and know you're dying. It's it's hard to be uh, someone who, you know, is sitting in the grieving process. So what you're bringing to people is definitely, definitely a blessing. Can you talk a little bit about why or if there's been any outreach uh, to providers in your area, you're specifically in Cincinnati, have there been, like, what have you done and others done to try to bring attention to death care for this community? So yesterday I had an event called It Takes a Village, um, because I believe that just as a child is born and it takes a village to help guide, raise, and do the things of parenting for kids that you need support of family members, friends, you're going to need that support at the end of life. So I reached out to um, many of organizations in Ohio. Um, Equality Ohio came. Um, NAMI Southwest was there. Equality Ohio is... Um, the legal matters for LGBTQ folks. They do a lot of fighting and teach about wills and and power of attorneys. Um, NAMI is a mental health group and mm -hmm. most of their services are free. Um, I had five other death doulas, three of them were in Nelda trained death doulas that were present. I, a couple of funeral homes, um, green burials, celebrants that were affirming um, different religious organizations and um, Compassion and Choices was a part of the event as well, where we had a conversation with the community and had them see the village that is available in Cincinnati to help them um, during their transition, during their end of life planning, to make sure that they have their wishes guaranteed, written down, notarized, all of these things. We had those questions and answers where they were able to ask legal advice. They were able to ask funeral homes, what does it look like to be cremated? Or can I have an open casket and still be cremated? Or how, does, how do I go to a green burial? And all of these things, it, it made mm. um, queer folks be able to think about what death looks like for them, what they would do to their remains. Even myself, I was actually going to be cremated 
that I'm, I don't have any second thoughts about um, doing the green barrier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, it, it made me think about things because I assumed that I wouldn't be able to um, go to green barrier if I had an open casket because I thought I had to be embalmed and you can't be embalmed and go to a green barrier site. So, you know, mm-hmm. it was all of those questions that I had actually gotten answers for, but I started to dig a little deeper into certain things. But it, having these conversations, showing Cincinnati that these are the people who are invested in your care. They're going to respect who you are. They're going to honor your pronouns. We had um, pens that said, ask me versus just he, him, his pronouns versus okay. just they, them. Mm-hmm. Instead of you assuming how I identify, just ask, hey, what are your pronouns? And all of those things, which would help breaks down that with barrier. othering people. Right, <laughs> so, right. Are just assuming, are making it difficult for folks to, to talk to you when they've been misgendered their whole life. So it was just mm-hmm. very empowering. Um, Terry Hawker, a pastor here, was, um, he, she's a, he's a, actually a trans man. I knew Terry when Terry was transitioning. And it was just all of these things that, was easy for us but terry goes he him they and she so whichever one comes out at that time it's okay because terry understands that there was a whole transition of terry coming to being terry and yeah so and you get to respect that and get to see what that looks like and and you get to see a queer pastor celebrant chaplain of a multi-faith community saying, you don't have to go back to mama's church. I will make sure that you have a good eulogy. You have a good person to preside. Wow. That's pretty incredible. That's pretty incredible because the, the idea that someone would go to a church that maybe they grew up in, or that is their mother or grandmother's church, um, and not knowing whether they will respect their wishes or won't, you know, say something that is disrespectful in their service uh, to have a chaplain there that would just come out and say that I think is, is pretty incredible. It's a, a very valuable resource there. So, so you, you've been out here in in the Cincinnati community. And so how are you going to spread the word more throughout, throughout the country and the world? Well, right now I invited three funeral homes that did not show. So I'm going to go to each one of them right now in Cincinnati and have them say that they affirm LGBTQ folks. Because if if it's not a safe space, we need to know and we don't need to endorse you. Right, right. So that's my mission now because they That's a good mission. You know, (laughs) because... What what do they say? Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> so you you want to know. You want to be prepared. Yeah, I, I have to know because one of them are that I have in mind is my pre needs, and I'm going to have to withdraw <laughs> because mm. if if you cannot affirm me and affirm us, we don't need to give you our money. Mm. We don't need to to use your resources when we do have and had a funeral home come 
which was a Greenberry funeral home, that said, we will do it. We will make sure. And showed up, answered questions, and didn't back out, didn't pull out. So my question is, is it just talk or are you going to put action behind it? Yeah. yeah. And I would like a statement telling this too. So these are things that I think that that's, that's the start to being able to also have these conversations about death and dying for queer folks and for people in general that are marginalized to know they will be respected, to know that they will be honored. And it's not just about money situations and starting in Cincinnati and then stretching out to the other parts of Ohio and then other states to really double down and ask what's mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. can we come can I come and you're going to re- respect my whole body all of me so what would you say to uh, another end of life doula who wants to do this work whether or not they identify as LGBTQIA+, what would you say to them about maybe starting something that you did in in Cincinnati in another jurisdiction? Because you're a one person, David, you can't be everywhere. So what would you say to, uh, to another doula that wants to, to do similar work? What I would do and say is, reach out to the resources. There are a bunch of resources in the community that you're in. But if you don't go out, if you don't ask questions, if you don't have conversations and say, hey, I'm an end of life doula, what is it that you do? Carry the business cards, see somebody in the coffee shop, coffee line, hand it out and make those connections because most folks need it. Most folks don't like to talk about death and dying. But to have it talked about in a meaningful way is completely different than just preparing for just the end. It's about legacy, about meaning, about leaving things for folks or telling a story from your own perspective versus someone else telling it. So talk to the funeral homes, go in and tell them I'm a death doula. This is what I want to do. How can I serve? It's about serving your community. This work is service work. It's holy work. It it definitely is is service work because uh, I became an end of life doula at the height of the pandemic when you couldn't sit with anyone. And uh, I, to be you know totally transparent, I still have not sat with anyone. I've spoken to people, but I haven't been. Uh, in a situation where I've sat with a, with a dying person. So having someone to talk to about these issues is, is helping me tremendously because you've, you've actually done it. And so to have you talk about just some of the basics of what, you know, someone would go through. Um, I think you talked about a, a, a friend who you were singing Two, and then you found out later that they they had transitioned. Could you talk a little bit about about that? So, most of the times I sing to most of the folks. Um, I come from a singing family, and I was gonna say, wait, job... can you sing, <laughs> <laughs> or do you um, do shower I mean, singing like I do? <laughs> I do okay for what it is. Um, I get the job done. I come from a family of 
singers. My grandmother, she's 80, and this lady still sings down the house. Oh, uh, uh, voice is just amazing still at, at 80, and she smoked cigarettes still and had triple bypass surgery and all these things, and she still can sing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and my, grand, my great-grandmother saying, all of most of my family can sing, play, do something of that nature, artsy or whatever. But, um, so what we usually used to do, we would go to nursing homes and we were like the first on the scenes of helping folks. And um, we went to see a deacon at the church. He was in a nursing home and we were singing just songs to him after service. And then the preacher came and gave him communion. And um, he was, I tell folks like, he was in between life and death. He was present, but not present. Hmm. He was... He could hear us, he could see us, he enjoyed it, but he was also slipping away. And I'm six at this time. So, you know, I'm a child. You were six. This and, yes. Okay. Six. <laughs> so you started early. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, we started early going to, we had to, we, we went to nursing homes and had to shake everybody's hands. They would not allow us to. It taught us humility. It taught us to accept people just the way that they were. And even if they were slopping, we still had to shake their hand. Now, we couldn't touch ourselves or anything like that till we got to the bathroom and washed our... It was, we still made sure that we maintained hygiene, but mm-hmm. touch is important. And they knew that touch was important. Um, and these were sharecroppers. These folks came up here from Sam, Alabama. They did not graduate high school or went to college. They bought homes and worked. But anywho, we were singing to him and his eyes was rolling in the back of his head. And I'm watching this. I'm like, OMG, what's going on? <laughs> and I'm still singing. And But I knew in the moment that there was something spiritual happening for him with us. And I didn't know what. I'm six. I'm not for sure quite what was happening. But I saw that he was present, but not present. He was fighting, but not fighting at the same time. Like he was ready to, 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 he was to ready really to go, but he was really feeling, he was but feeling, he was seeing us and he yes. was feeling our presence. And mm. he heard his favorite songs being sung and all of these things. And I'm looking at this, like, y'all don't see this. <laughs> and um, shortly after we got home, and we got the phone call that he had transitioned. So we packed back up and went back out. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's what we did. And even for my great-grandmother, um, she had all of her great-grandchildren, her great-great-grandchildren, her grandchildren, and her kids were able to be around her. And then the four generations sang to her her favorite songs until she took her last breath. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just beautiful to be able to do things like that for mm-hmm. folks and to mm-hmm. make the transition easy and calming because she didn't have much pain at all. And she died quick. Thank goodness okay. um, she died quick. But yeah. Yep. At six years old, there you were singing to... A pastor, you and and you just you knew deep within your soul, your spirit, that something was happening. Mm-hmm. 
And so from that, here you are a few years later, an <laughs> end, end of life doula. Yes, a few years later. But I do want to, you know, you said like you, so death is a little work though. You don't have to sit vigil. You don't mm-hmm. have to sit by a, a dying person. I go through that. I think that death work is a lot. I think certain folks are, are made to do legacy and meaning. They may, they, they may be just can't sit a vigil. They're not able to emotionally take it. Mm-hmm. You know, so like yesterday, a couple of deaths was like, well, I'm a, I'm a, a trained death doula, but I've never had a client in that way. But they've written obituaries. They've made slideshows. They've done all of these other things on the back end. That's death doula work, mm-hmm. even if you're not sitting visual with visual. folks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I recognize that uh, because I did start uh, Heirloom Estate and Legacy Preservation because I really did want to try to help people with their end of life plans, whatever that looked like. If it was wills or trust or, you know, doing the obituary and, and all the things that come along with with death. And I became a, a end of life doula because I thought that was just something like a continuum, like something else to add to to mm-hmm. my repertoire of what I could do. And I really, at the point uh, that I did it, I wasn't really sure that I could necessarily sit vigil with someone. I think I could now, but I lost my mom at nine. And mm-hmm. I remember her being in the casket with two cauldrons of ice under her body. This is in Central America in 1975. And I don't know if at that point I thought about like what that meant to be an end of life doula because in 75, it wasn't really a thing thing. So now I I can actually go and see someone in in a casket where after my mom died, it took me a long time to be able to do that, to, to view. So now I feel like I, I can do it. I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit better at that, but definitely I appreciate you saying that because it's not necessarily sitting with someone sitting vigil, but it's talking to someone. It is going to visit them or making a call or, or any of the things that death doulas do to ensure that that person knows and feels that they are cared for, that someone's thinking about them, that they meant something, right, to someone and and they leave a legacy, which is definitely why I wanted to to start Heirloom and Legacy podcast. So talk a little bit about legacy since you brought that up a couple of times. What what do you want your legacy to be? Um, I think my legacy would more than likely is that I served my community with all that I had, that I did the work, that I didn't just talk the talk, but I did the walk and to go along with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that I... I did my best. You know, I I tried to serve and tried to serve to the best of my ability, the ones and the folks that are my clients, that are my family, that I come in contact with, that I'm supposed to um, 
work for and give them the best funeral or best end of life celebration that they could have. Um, you know, I have my own plans of, I don't want it to be in the church, even though I love church music, but I have friends that are not churched and I cuss a lot and <laughs> I need folks to be able to cuss <laughs> when they're telling stories about me. I don't want okay. them to feel like they're not able to, to talk about me correctly because they're in the sanctuary a space okay. that's supposed to be set apart and sancti sanctified and all of these things and so you know I need it outside of a religious of a organization so yes. <laughs> yeah. that my friends that know me are able to say when I cuss somebody out and they couldn't believe it and I said this I you know all of these things mm -hmm. so that the folks are comfortable even though I'm still going to have um I still want the Pentecostal essence of um, Christianity there, the drums, the organ, the shout, speaking in tongues, rolling around on the ground. You want all of that as part of it, just uh, not in the uh, formal uh, setting, because there's going to yes. be cursing. There will yes. be cursing. They will be cursing. <laughs> <laughs> I've written my obituary, it has cursing in it. Oh. Um, so yeah, all of it done, <laughs> and you know it's because it's me, it's who I am, and right. you know I, I update it every year, or every so often, depending. You know, if I had a partner, they were in there just in case I croaked, and then when I no longer have a partner, so I took them out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, that is really important. I mean, we've talked on this podcast before about people taking, you know, folks off of wills and. Uh, taking people off of, of life insurance policies if you're no longer married to them or with them because mm -hmm. that's where it gets messy when people don't take yeah. care of these of these things. So I, I can appreciate you saying you're taking taking someone up out of the obituary. So one of the things I, I want to ask you is an heirloom, an heirloom that someone left you or that you plan to leave. Um, so I've really never been given an heirloom um, from any of my clients. I don't believe in that way. Uh, I collect obituaries of my family because I want to know and wanted to know where we came from and what that looks like. And during that process, we had a story that was told to us um, that our family name is Suttles Craig, but it's it was Shuttles Craig. Suttles, S U T T L E S, and okay. the other name is Craig. Okay. And it was told to us for many years that we were all Craigs at one point, but the brothers had an argument and he took the name so that my great great grandfather took the name of the sharecropper farm that he was working on. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, you know, and so, you know, so then I started to do, I planned the family reunions and all of these things. And I did the DNA ancestry and stuff like that. But it just never sat with me. Even as a child, I'm like, that does not make sense. Because I come from a proud people. What in the world would he be doing because he got upset with his brother that he takes 
this white man's name. It doesn't make sense to me, you know. Right. So, and and it wouldn't make sense to us, but it it happens. It and it has so, happened. <laughs> so doing the research, um, because I, I called all of the older people. Um, there were nine kids, and I think seven of them were living when I started doing the research, and most of them were older. They could only remember certain things. Anywho, I found out that the story was told, but partially true. Mm-hmm. That the Mystery. children were born. The children were born Craigs, all the way back from 1858. The great the grandmother, the mother of my great great grandfather, my great great grandmother. Anyway, her name was Celia Suttles, who had Willie, Millie, um, John Henry, who was my great great grandfather, and then two other kids. Anywho, Willie was born a Suttles. Willie died at Craig. Okay. But Willie changed the story and said <laughs> he was born. <laughs> a Craig, and, and we were and, all Craig because uh-huh. his daddy was a Craig. Mm. So Willie's daddy was a Craig. So it was so there were half brothers and all these things. So anywho, what I plan to leave is some clarity. My, um, <laughs> my aunt Teen, <laughs> which was the oldest sister of my great grandmother, she was the oldest child, had written out who came from who. Mm-hmm. That book I saw belonged to my cousin that died at 59. She was her daughter from Sicklesfield. I support it. I took pictures of that book and I printed it out. Um, and I plan to leave the history, true history of what really happened and what that looks like, the obituaries, because if it wasn't for obituaries and for um, the census and stuff like that, I would have never known that they were born settled. Exactly. I would have went with the story that my great great grandfather took this white man's name. So it so I I think what I would leave if I don't have um I don't have anything other than those things, those documents to show where we come from. I mean, here in the United States where we come from, as far back as we could manage doing the you know, I mean that's pretty you went back pretty far. I mean, you went back pre you know, emancipation. So yes. <laughs> so I was able to do that. And I'm still on a mission for um, the maternal side to see where she came from, because there's stories of what she was and what she, and she was high yellow and, you know, everybody got Cherokee in them. <laughs> Everybody's Indian. Okay. Yes, we, we know. All, all Black people claim that Indian heritage. <laughs> and some of us have it, you know, some of us don't, but it's scant in many instances, but yeah, okay. <laughs> so, you know, and they tell stories about how she was able to walk with um, baskets on her head and carry okay. water. Uh-huh. And they tell all these stories. And so I'm my legacy and what I'm going to leave are the heirlooms of obituary, of history, of where we come from, who we are as a people, of being Suttles Craig and the truth about what happened between the <laughs> brothers. Because I'm like, I know I don't come from people that would do these things. So <laughs> Yeah, we do. We come some but, we come from some crazy stuff, so <laughs> but, but, but my but the way my great grandparents were set up, I'm like, 
I don't think so. But so any of these things, um, that's what I think I'm, my legacy would be is to show who, what, when, where, and why. Why? Okay. Perfect. <laughs> that is, that is perfect. Uh, and it's perfect because there's so many of us that don't know or have lit, bits and pieces of a story and we're, we're trying to, to figure it out. And then you you call someone your cousin and you really don't know why they're your cousin or, you know, so I think having what you have, the obituaries is, is a huge piece to bridging those gaps. So people kind of know the story, know the truth, have the clarity. Yeah all those things <laughs> i call aunts aunts because they were old and they were my grandma my great grandmother's first cousins they're not my aunts, they're not I'm your like, aunts. <laughs> but it does what? it doesn't matter that's cause we just all blend together because we, we don't know we don't know we, we could be six degrees of separation we don't know where we came from there's not enough history from when we we left the continent of africa to know so yeah we're all cousins yeah, so you know those are things. And so my daughter won't be doing that. She doesn't call anybody. I, that is a cousin. That's not her. And she don't call it. We don't do that. And I don't go around saying cousin such and such. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I don't care if you're ninety years old. If you your first name Stella, how you doing, Stella? See, now that's different in my family because my younger cousins call me cousin. They like they it. just do. Nope. Never they call have, and my never and my did. well my my niece and nephew they call me my first name but some sometimes I think they'll they'll call me aunt. So tell me then, David, why did you choose Anelda for your training, and why did you decide to come to Anelda's board? So I chose Anelda because when I was considering becoming a end of life death doula, it was a new term. And one of my friends sent it to me and said, um, this is what you do. And it was a video of a person who's an end of life death doula. And I'm like, oh, okay. So versus calling myself a missionary reverend, all of these things, it made it easier to me to have a, a different um, title to be able to bridge gaps. So if I'm going to somebody that loves church and stuff, I can call myself reverend or missionary and things like that but folks that have church hurt and and our religious traumas and stuff death doula end of life care all of these things and i did a search for all of the organizations that train and then within those organizations i did a search for um people in my area and then folks that look like me in my area and folks that were lgbtq in my area and it boiled you down to um, those factors and a reputable um, organization to get trained from. Someone that's an organization that's doing the work that if I say I'm with Anelda, they know who Anelda is. They know that it's good training, that we know what we're doing. So I like to make sure that I'm trained like the best folks and I'm trained by um, a, a name and a brand. So when I was in the church, all I had to do was say, I'm from Bible way and folks moved. <laughs> <laughs> they, they said Bible way. And then I'm like, I can sit in the back. I don't have to go up front, but I'm from Bible way. Mm -hmm. And they knew who Bible way was and they knew that we were trained correctly. So I felt the same way about choosing an elder 
is that if I said I was trained with an elder, that it would have respect put on the name and on the title and on the work. Okay. I joined the board because I saw that there was an opportunity to um, grow. I saw that Inelda was invested in DEI. I saw that they are, they have the peer mentoring groups, they have the BIPOC mentoring groups. And I've said on some of the web, web, um, webinars and things of that, even before I became a board member, just to see what they offered. And I think Annetta offers a lot to the world and to communities that need end of life services and training and education. Well, thank you for that. And I, I was so pleased when you said yes. I not because we need board members, not the only reason, but just because you bring such a wealth of information and knowledge about what you do, your work and the passion and your commitment to the work. So I'm so excited you're on the board. And I just want to thank you again tremendously for agreeing to talk to me today and being here and yeah, give you any last final comments you want to make. I thank you for having me and having these conversations. I love talking about death and dying. I can talk about it all day because that's what I do. And um, no, not really. Just for folks to live intentionally, live on purpose, and to live without regrets. And with that, what a beautiful ending to this conversation. David, thank you and have a good afternoon. Thank you for listening to the Heirloom and Legacy podcast. For more information about end-of-life planning, please visit us at LegacyPreservation.life. You can also find us on Instagram at Legacy Preservation. Many thanks to my exceptional executive assistant, Queen Karen Garrison, also known as Mommy Activist. Please note that these discussions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. You should not act or refrain from acting based on any content included in this discussion without seeking legal or other professional advice. Thank you again for choosing Heirloom and Legacy Podcast. Please like, subscribe, and tell your friends about us.